The title of uh, the message today, I don't know if it's come up behind me, is Reminded of Love. Um, Jackie used uh, the scripture, one of the scriptures that I want to build upon today. But sacrificial love uh, is something that uh, we all are actually called to do. Uh, and now it can look in, in many, many ways. It can have different forms. It can be something very small uh, to something very, very large. And, we, you know, we can talk about the spectrum here. Who, who likes going to the movies? Now, let's get real honest before we begin. Who doesn't like going to the movies with their spouse because they have opposite taste in movie? Let's be honest. And how often do you sacrificially lie down what you want to watch in order to watch what they want. Sacrificial love. It's a little example. Give me a wave. I see those hands. I see, what's the movie you sent us? The Dressmaker, Movie Maker, Everybody Dies. It was April's Choice. It was the worst movie of all time. It was like I left depressed. Um, but I chose to love April in that moment. I can't remember what the opposing movies were, but I'm sure it was better than that, uh, in my opinion. You hear stories. There'd be stories across this room of people giving up a career in order to support a spouse as they pursue a dream in their career. That's sacrificial love because it's costing the person something in order to put the other first. Uh, there are many different examples. Uh, I know of a story uh, of an immigrant family. Uh, they had three sons and the eldest son left school in year eight and worked full time in order that his family were able to afford to educate the younger two brothers. Uh, which is an incredible story. One became an architect, one became a lawyer. Uh, that's sacrificial love of the oldest brother. That's my Uncle Vince, uh, my Uncle Frank, I should say. And Uncle Vince and my dad were the two younger men. He left school in year eight, sacrificially working and giving a full-time wage to his parents in order that they could afford to make a life in a new country. Sacrifice can have many different pictures. Sacrificial love can look uh, in many different ways, but the reality is sacrificial love means it's cost you something. When we reflect on the cross, and Jesus is the greatest example of this, He gave up His life because of love. You know, I often return to the thought, you've all heard me say it before, it was not nails that held Jesus to the cross, it was His love. His love for His Father, His love for us, His obedience towards what needed to happen to restore us to God, to restore us to the right place. So we're going to look at uh, John chapter 15 today, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Now the context of this is Jesus is about to be crucified. Uh, it's his farewell comments to his disciples. There's multiple things going on in this portion of Scripture. Uh, he's washed the disciples' feet. He's predicted his betrayal. He's predicted Peter's denial. He said he'll return to his father, but the Holy Spirit will arrive. In chapter 15, what happens is we find that he begins to talk about the vine and branches. But what is interesting about this context is some say that he may have had view in the temple of, in, in the temple was a golden vine. And, and what had happened is it was there because often in the Old Testament, unfortunately, in a negative way, that the people of God were described as a vine. And it's a negative way in the Old Testament towards what they're doing. But as Jesus, they say in the context, is in his final words with his disciples, they would have been at some point in context that they may have been in the background. And he says to them, I am the true vine. 
and you are the branches. And what happens is he talks about that the good fruit comes through a relationship with him. I spoke a couple of weeks ago to our East family about that fruit is good Christian character that is coming out of your life because of your relationship with God, because of your relationship with Jesus. And what happens is we're going to land in verse 9 uh, and we're going to read from it right through to verse 17. And then we're going to make some reflections about sacrificial love. This is really the goal of my message today is that the disciples of Jesus, if you're going to listen, this is my goal. We should remind the world of Jesus by the way we love one another. It's achieved through sacrificial love born out of obedience. That's the sentence when I try to surmise my message into into a sentence or two. It's simply we should remind the world of Jesus because of the way we love one another. And that is birthed out of a relationship with Jesus that is obedient to what He calls us to do. So dear Heavenly Father, we pray that You would speak today out of Your Word. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So verse 9 reads, As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in His love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I've learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You, (coughs) excuse me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. The first reflection that I think sets up the context of sacrificial love is that joy comes through obedience. It's really interesting when you look at it, obedience is the road to joy. Now I'm about to do a two or three minute sales pitch on why you want joy rather than happiness. There there is a definite uh, uh, definition difference between the two uh, that I think is important. But in our culture, we chase happiness. We absolutely go after it. Um, I remember a a few years ago, and and this is really what I want to say, is don't sell yourself short with happiness. Seek joy. I remember a few years ago, we had a gift given to us. Um, Friends of ours bought around a basketball ring, a a portable one that you set up. They also, uh, with it, gave us a ball. And because they're very practical people, they also gave us a pump for the ball. So we got a, a ring, a ball, and one of those, you know those little plastic Kmart pumps uh, that you're risking, it's like a one-time use item pretty much. You use it once, it breaks, you pull too far, it comes apart. Um, not not uh, dishonouring the gift, thank you very much, but it was a Kmart pump. 
And what happens is the kids come bouncing out. Kiara would have been about five or six, maybe six. Jai was about four. Lila's about two. And obviously we go to Jai. Jai, the basketball ring. And Kiara goes, oh, what about me? And we go, oh, well, you can have the ball. And then Lila comes out, what about me? Do you remember this, Prue? So I said, ah, you can have the pump. And she was like, oh, the pump. She's two. She doesn't even know what it is. And she's like, look at this. She's overcome with happiness because of a pump. A Kmart pump. Pretty much a one-time use only item and she's so full of happiness. Uh, now what happens if we look at it, she's beautifully innocent in that moment, but she's also sold herself short. It's not the basketball ring. It's not even the ball. It's the pump. It's nothing. But yet in our community, we always are pushing and striving to sell ourselves short when we pursue happiness rather than joy. You know, happiness is so, so easy. If I'm eating something I'm enjoying, I'm happy. Give me a wave if you're in that category. Oh, if I'm watching a movie, I'm happy. If things are going my way, I'm happy. But the thing with joy is that it is totally circumstantial. And what happens is because people are so desiring happiness, they're trying to set up the environment to cater for happiness all the time. I don't have the right job. I'm not happy in my job. I don't have the right uh, amount of uh, clothing. I'm not happy with my clothing. I don't have the right house. I'm not happy with my house. And what happens is that your happiness is directly affected by your circumstance. Happiness is very brittle. If instantly something doesn't go wrong, it's affected. But yet Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commands and remain in His love. This portion of Scripture instantly is setting up, if you are obedient, you remain in my love. This is what it's saying. Obedience is important. Now, Jesus is doing something here. He's such a leader. He's so smart. I love it. But what He's doing is He is emphasising the importance of obedience. But there's a reason. There's two reasons that I can see. Then he says this, I have told you this, why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Joy is very different. It is not a brittle emotion. It is not a circumstantial emotion. Your joy can't be removed once God gives it to you because the source of joy is that it comes from a relationship with Him. So therefore what happens is circumstances may change, but your joy can remain. That means, for example, when a family member passes on, but you know that they had a relationship with Jesus, you can be sad, but the joy of the Lord can still be with you and on you. 2 Corinthians 6.10 says this, Our hearts ache, so they're in pain, but we always have joy. So joy can't be removed because of circumstance. Uh, if you look at James chapter 1, 2 to 4, it says this, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. When you are going through a hard time, happiness is fleeting. But joy can be present in trials. 
So when we return to our text, uh, we see here very simply that He is saying that when you obey me, you remain in my love. But when you remain in my love, I give you my joy and your joy can be complete. So obedience to God and His Word and His call for your life leads to a joy that can't be taken away. So if you don't have joy, I reflect in my own life, am I being obedient? Because I want God's joy to sit in me that isn't brittle no matter what I walk through, no matter what I strive, no matter what I face, the joy of the Lord is with me. So application here, I wanted to, to uh, ask you this. So before you may say this question to yourself, where is my joy? Where is my joy? I am not joyful right now. I have some questions that potentially you could ask yourself first. Before you say, where is my joy? Ask this, where is my presence? Where are you putting your time? It's an important question because it's, the, it's often the fundamentals that are missed. And, and if we don't get the fundamentals right, prayer, time with God, His Word, devotion to Him, actually a desire to read the Word more than Netflix. We all struggle. Don't look at me. I'm in that boat too. But what happens is it's like, where is my presence? Where, and what I mean by presence, where is my time? Because if you do this with your time, and then you will receive joy. Because Psalm 1611 says this, that the joy that is found for your life is found in God's presence. So just by being in God's presence, the Bible says you will find joy. It says this, you will show me the way of life. This is Psalm 1611, if you're writing it down. And then it says, granting me the joy of your presence. And the pleasures of living with you forever. So the question I put is, where is your presence? Put it in the presence of God. And when you do that, you will find joy. Because where He is, there's freedom, there's liberty, there's joy. But here's another question to ask yourself. Where is your trust? In 1 Peter 1.8, it says this. Is they're writing to a people that have been exposed and gone through and are going through a hard time. It says this, you love Him even though you've never seen Him. Though you know, do not see Him, you trust Him. So because you trust Him, it then goes on to say, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. There is joy in the presence of God. You receive joy when you put your trust in God. And then as we return to our text now, I hope that you read it with a different framework. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. If you be obedient. This is what happens. He says, I've told you to be obedient. Why? I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Obedience. Now, is it very interesting that as you look at the Scripture, God has, Jesus has set up the framework for listening and obeying and submitting so that you can have His joy because He's about to ask them to do something really hard. He's about to ask them to love people. You know that person that you need the joy of the Lord to love. 
I love it when I say that because people are like, don't look at anyone in this moment. Straight at Charles. But what's happening is he is saying now, he's setting up the framework. It's important to be obedient because you need the joy of the Lord to continue to be able to walk in what I'm asking you to walk in. And he then says this, my command is this. So he said, be obedient and receive my joy. Because now I'm going to tell you what to do after telling you to be obedient. Love each other as I have loved you. Love one another. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friend. My command is be obedient so that you can have a joy when you face trials. Because it will not be hard to love everybody, but I'm calling you to love everybody, but in a particular way. He's not just saying love so that you can receive love. He's saying love in a manner where you lay your life down in order to serve those around you. He's talking to disciples. He's talking to this community. He's talking in regards to your relationships with one another. And then Christ gives in this moment the example of the most extreme love. And in fact, when we look at it, we know that what He is about to go through is the example of the most sacrificial love for mankind on the cross. Sacrificial love. You know, in the context of today and what we remember tomorrow, I remember a few years being, a few years ago being told about a story about the Battle of Bathsheba in 1917. It was the 31st of October 1917, and we had Australian light horsemen do something very, very heroic. And I want to read to you some of the information that I was sent. It says this that there was a commander of the Allied forces, and they had turned their focus to Bathsheba a town at the end of the Turkish defence line. And although the majority of the Turkish forces were stationed in Gaza, there were still a thousand Turkish riflemen that were well entrenched and they had a strong defensive position where they were supported by nine machine guns. Now what happens is they have to take this town before nightfall because there is around 60,000 men plus animals that are stuck in the desert and they haven't had water for many days. They haven't had the opportunity to do so. So in running out of time, Australian men of service stepped forward and were granted permission to charge. Now what happened, they say, is around the time of 5pm, there was a a, a brigade of of, uh, around 700 uh, or 800 uh, began to, to run towards these lines and they ran in such a manner that the machine guns were unable to lower themselves. It's called recalibrating uh, in order to be able to shoot them. So as they ran so quick, the bullets went over their heads. As these men ran and rode, 800 men and horses made up the 4th Australian Light Horse Brigade. They overcame the entrenched men. Some of them continued on to go and and, uh, actually save the water supply that was in that area. And the success of the mission was this. 
By 10pm on the 31st of October, approximately 58,000 light horsemen and over 100,000 animals were able to enter that town. They, they took on, they say, 1.8 million litres of water. But 31 Australian servicemen showed the greatest sacrifice of love in order for that to happen. 171 British troops gave up their life in order for that to happen. And you know that today we still live in the freedom of those sacrifices. And today in this place, I hope that that helps paint a picture of the greatest sacrifice we still live in today. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us. And in verse 13, he said this, greater love has no one than this. Can you think about this statement in the context of what he's about to enter into? To lay down one's life for one's friend. I think that the sacrifice of Jesus and what he did on the cross should inspire us to follow that command. Obedience is important because that obedience comes out of a relationship we have with him. And because of that is an impartation of a joy that can't be removed no matter the circumstance that you face. Jesus focuses on obedience in order to then give us the command to love one another in that way. Those men that gave up and give up their lives on a battlefield is a greatest example. No greater love than there is that a person that does that. But Jesus is saying that that may not be the opportunity that you're given, but the Spirit should be that I'll give all of me in order to love you. This is what Jesus is saying to His disciples. And then in verse 12, my command is this. It's a command. You know, I read a uh, paraphrased version of the Bible at many weddings that I do. Uh, and we know that at weddings, it's often the scripture that's used is 1 Corinthians 13, 3 to 7. I want to read it to you. It says this, If I give everything I owe to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. This is the love Jesus calls us, He commands us to do. And Dan, as you join me, wherever you are. The title of the message today was Reminded of Love. Love is the mission. And if Jesus gives you a command, the only way that you can accomplish it is by doing it. So if Jesus says, don't steal, it's executed by not stealing. If he says, don't worship another God, it's executed by not doing that command. It's practically living in a manner that executes the command. Jesus says in 16 and 17, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit and a fruit that will last. 
so that whatever you ask in my name will be given to you. And then in verse 17, he's reinforcing it again. This is my command, love each other. Fruit is the evidence of Christian character in your life and a relationship with Jesus. And you come into the point where He says in that Scripture that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. That's because you're in such a relationship that your will becomes the will of the Father. So you are already praying for what He wants for your life. And then He says, love one another. So what does that look like in your life? Sacrificial love needs to be birthed out of your time. Acts of service, your presence in someone's life. But remember, it must include sacrifice. It might not suit you, but you do it anyway because of sacrificial love. Your relationships need to carry sacrificial love, building relationships with one another beyond a superficial level. Jesus is talking to this room in this context, His disciples. Your money. You know, I heard a story this week about a family that is incredibly inspiring. This family have taken in over a hundred foster kids. And as we chatted about what that looked like, we were asking some questions. This person that I was talking to brought to me a really, really sweet story. A few years back, they had to take in a young boy who was just under six months and his sister that was just under three years. And because of delays and other things, I'm not sure what happened. They normally have them for short periods of time. But in this case, they ended up having these two children for nearly two years. And as those children lived within the family, it was amazing that he shared with me that they began to take on the mannerisms of the family. Now, how do you know their mannerisms of the family? Because the likeness goes beyond questioning. That is exactly what I do. That is exactly what we do. That is exactly how we say it. The likeness could not be missed. Babies that lived in an environment became like the environment and the likeness couldn't be missed. It couldn't be mistaken. Now, when you look at verse 12, it says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Then if you look at verse 17, it says, This is my command, I uh, love each other. Now, we know that the context now of this whole portion of Scripture is His final farewell, the Last Supper, the washing of feet, the denial, the Holy Spirit. So if you go backwards, a few verses that remain in this conversation, Jesus says this to them in John 13, 34 and 35, A new command I give you. Does that sound familiar? I command you, love one another. Then again in 17, this is my command, love one another. Now in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, love 
one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. Here is my point. You are an example to the world of what His love looks like. Because it says this, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You're an example of love to the world. Of sacrificial love. This room needs to love in a way that the likeness is unquestioned. That the likeness cannot be mistaken. Because it says here, the command that I give you is that you love one another. And by this, everyone will know, by the way that you love one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. The only way that they're gonna know that we are Jesus' disciples is that the likeness that flows out of our life is goes beyond, it has to be it. That has to be the love of Jesus. That can't be mistaken. The likeness is too obvious. He's talking to this room. He's talking to us in an example of the way that you love the person that's next to you, that's behind you, that speaks too much during the service, that that takes your seat. The person that you rock up every week and they're not helping or the person that's doing everything, stealing your opportunity. That doesn't happen that I wish we had more people like that at our church. A love that looks like Jesus. You are the example. You know, every week I preach to myself. So I ask the Lord, does my love look like that? Does my love look like that? Because Father, I wanna be a reflection of who you are for your glory. Does my time reflect that? Does my grace for people reflect that? Father, loving people is hard, but you told me to be obedient. You said because of that, you'd fill me with a complete joy. And therefore, because of that, you then say, go and love because your joy is not circumstantial. So that person you love, but doesn't love you back, you can keep going. That person that you serve, but they don't receive it in the right way, you can keep going because your joy is from your relationship with God. And you're called to love in a way that when people walk in this room, they go, hey, I don't know who Jesus is yet, but I see it by the way they treat one another. When I think of Anzacs, that they step onto the battlefields of life and are willing to literally lay down their life for us. Police officers that go to scenes that they don't even know what they're facing in order to protect us. There is a layer of sacrifice that they carry so naturally that we should be inspired by when we see it. We should be challenged when we see it. Now Jesus is saying, love the way that I love you. I died on a cross. No greater love is this. Therefore, to me, this whole Scripture, the whole thing can be summed up. There is no fruitful love without sacrifice. And that should be our culture. That should be our church. That should be our community. When it's inconvenient, 
You know, John Graham's one of the most inspiring people for me when it comes to he will love people beyond inconvenience. I know of a person who during the rain, their roof caved in and there was flooding everywhere and 5am in the morning, he's mopping someone else's house. I got the call at 8 o'clock, praise the Lord. (laughs) But you know what? I would have been there. I would have been there. Because I want to love like Jesus. I want to step out of myself and into what He has for me through obedience and sacrifice. Let's stand. I'm actually going to put out a challenge to you today that if you pray it, I think it's a pretty dangerous prayer. Today I want to ask you to raise your hands if you're willing to ask the Lord, give me an opportunity to love sacrificially. This week, not yet, go down. I love how keen people are. Whoop, no one else, go down. It's like that stretch. My shirt was unorganised. That's what I was doing. It's like the football players in the AFL with the umpire now. You can't raise a hand. You can't do anything. So they panic. They'll scratch in my head. This week, we want to ask the Lord, would you give me an opportunity so that when people see the love I have for them, they see the love of Jesus Christ. Father, would You help me this week to step out of my own busyness, my own focus on myself, my own pursuit of happiness, but rather, Lord, let me step into obedience where You fill me with joy and I can love others sacrificially. Father, I wanna be an example of Your love to the world by the way I love this room. Father, Holy Spirit, would you, would you reveal to us, would you speak clearly to us when the opportunity comes? If you'd like to pray that prayer, I'm gonna pray it again. Would you raise your hands if you want an opportunity and asking the Lord, Lord, help me to love sacrificially. I wanna invite the band to come. Mark, if you bring down the lights for a moment, keep your hands raised just in this moment. Father, give us an opportunity to love in a manner that makes you proud, in a manner that honours your sacrifice, in a manner, Father, that requires obedience. Father, I pray. If there are areas in our life, Lord God, where we, we've let the love for one another slip that You command us to have because of disappointment, unmet expectations, hurt, offence, we give it all to You. We give it all back to You. Father, You paid for all sin and wrongdoing at the cross. Father, we come to You and we ask, would You help us to love so that the world would look at our love and see the likeness of Jesus Christ and be drawn to that. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen. So with every eye closed just for a moment, every week here as a church, we don't know where everybody's at. But one of the questions we always like to ask is do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? The reason why we ask that is simply we believe that people have been separated from God. God is so holy that sin cannot be around Him. 
And what that means is if you've ever done something wrong, you've lied, you've thought the wrong thing, you've cheated, you've stolen, you've done something. It says in the Bible that you've been separated from God. But His love for you was so strong that He sent His Son Jesus. Now the reason He sent His Son Jesus was this, that the punishment for sin is death. Someone has to pay for the punishment of sin in order to be restored to God. But what happens is Jesus came, God sent His Son because of His love for us. And that on the cross, Jesus took on all the sins of the world and He paid the price for them. And then the Bible says this, that if you believe in your heart, that He lived and He died and He rose again, in that moment by believing, your sins are given to Jesus on the cross and you are restored to a relationship with God. The only way to get to heaven is through a relationship with Jesus. So whether you are here today, whether you're at home, whether you're in our East Campus, could everybody close their eyes? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus or your relationship with Jesus, you've floated away and wanna come back to Him today, with every eye closed for privacy, not for religious reasons, but so that people can have a moment with God. I want you to quickly put your hand up, wave to me uh, and then pop it down. Is there anybody in this room? If you're in the East location, I know that Nathan, the campus pastor, will happily reach out to you. And if you're online, uh, please go to our website and reach out to us in that way and we'll respond to you. But if there's anybody in this room right now and, and, and you wanna know Jesus, you wanna have a conversation about what it is to follow Him, so you're in right stand with God. Would you quickly lift your hand up? No worries, up and down, fantastic, fantastic. Hallelujah. You know, and just by lifting your hand, I believe you've been restored back to God. But we're gonna pray a prayer together today. There are a few people and those that raise their hand, why don't, I'm gonna wait at the front. Uh, after the service, just pop down, say hello to me, just so I can meet you. But what we're gonna do is, I don't want those people that have lifted their hands to be isolated. So can we all pray with them together? So we'll do a bit of a call and answer. I'm gonna pray a prayer and then I'd like everybody in this room to repeat it after me. So dear Jesus, thank You for what You did on the cross for me. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong and I ask that You would forgive me. I don't wanna do them anymore. I wanna live for You. Jesus, I believe You lived, died on the cross and rose on the third day. Amen, amen. The Bible says if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you are saved. You were restored to a relationship with God and beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is like an entry book in heaven and your name is written in it. God is good, isn't He?